Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Gee, it's a nice day today. Can't wait to get... You've been out already. Bloody beautiful. Bloody beautiful. It really is today. It's bloody beautiful. Bloody beautiful. Uh, I'm looking at the uh, jasmine. Oh, yeah. uh, Everlasting jasmine. (laughs) That shit is going to outlast religion. But um, it is beautiful to look at. God, it's beautiful. It is. Just don't want to fucking open the window. You know what I mean? Welcome to... What episode are we up to today? Five. Oh, that's a great number. Is it? Why? No, I don't know. It's a number. Welcome. How's your week been, Miss Managing Marketing Manager? Um, No, CEO, what are you now? <laughs> Annie got a promotion at work and we're really excited about it. She's now the CEO of her company. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. Um, Yeah, it's been good. It's been, it's been bloody hard, but good. Busy. Busy. Are you glad to be busy? I am actually in this time. I really am yeah. because um, yeah. I'm not doing anything else, let's face it. And yeah. um, It's good to be working, isn't it? It's good to be working and also I've got such an amazing boss who is really open to, yeah, she sent this thing out the other day to, the, to our sort of team saying, you know, she's not interested in um, schedules. She's only interested in outcomes. So she's like, if you need to start work at 6am, oh. finish at 10, go to go out for two hours, come back, Dream. have a nap, yep. do your afternoon. Well, that that is the kind of boss to have. Yeah, and you know what, more of those in the world. Everywhere. Like just don't worry about how you get there because everyone's process is different. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's that whole school uniform learning thing that we have to go to school at nine and finish at three. It doesn't yep. work for every student. And just like going to work at eight and finishing at five doesn't work for yeah. every person. Doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. So if you get the best out of someone, you truly yeah. will get it by letting them do their process their yeah. way. Yeah. And I'm managing a team now. And, um, you know, I love Simon Sinek. And I, I take a lot of his um, philosophies around work and business and, um, you know, I've, I've been following him for like 10 years. I've introduced this thing with my team called Doona Days and basically yeah. if they just don't feel like adulting, you know, some days you just get up and you're like, I just can't take can't. Can't. mental health reasons, you're just exhausted you know, mm. the kids are driving you mental. You had a bad night's sleep. You had to let your hair down and have a few too many whiskeys the night before. Whatever it is, my team can um, simply message me and say they're having a doona day and I won't ask any questions. It's a sick day. They just pop it in the thing as a sick day and the end. Um, you that's know, rather than good. having them, you know, lie and say they've got a tummy ache and that yeah. brings on a whole nother level of anxiety and yeah. knowing that you... I, and it's funny because I used to do this when I was growing up and I and I, if I wagged school, I would tell my mum, I would call her and say, hey, I didn't feel like going to school today. We've all come to Cindy's house. We're just going to make pancakes, but I just wanted to tell you. And I would have such a better day than the other girls because I, there was no anxiety or guilt about, you know, 
yeah. doing something that, deceitful. Yeah, well, that's um, a good parent though. <laughs> because yeah. some parents are not like that. They're just, you know, stringent and strict. You know, I actually used to do the same. Like I would call mum at work and say I couldn't go to school today. She'd go, that's yeah. okay. Don't do that yeah. too often. But, yeah. you know, yeah. I she knew I needed it, you know, because I loved school. I loved yeah. the social aspect of school. Yeah, same. I loved going to school as well. But I think that's the thing. Don't take the piss, and that's what I said to my team, if something's falling down or breaking, you know, think about <laughs> Think about you know responsibilities. We all, but I think if you if you give if you trust that your team will make the right decision, then you, yeah, you know, and you got to give them that as well. Thing. I think mm. a lot more people need to manage rather than boss people. Been watching a new show that I needed to talk about um, yeah. because I can't work out if I really really like it or really really hate it. Oh. And I watch it sometimes and I think, this is so bad. And then I watch it for a bit longer and I think, this is genius. It's called Clickbait. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, Adrian Griner and um, and then the sister um, is, I can't work out if she's a really good actor or a really bad actor. Right. I'm very troubled by it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'll start like, it. I'll start it yeah. this week. I'd like everyone then... to start that and just report back because I and I look, I'm gonna take a, a wager. I reckon you'll like it. Mm-hmm. I think you'll really like it. Mm-hmm. Or you might really hate it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The same as you. One or the other. It'll be all the op. Oh, well, it'd be the first time we we agree because we always do the opposite. So if we're doing both opposites, then we're going to do the same thing. We'll agree. Oh, my God. You know what I found out this week? Something that we probably never as an audience take into consideration. You know the new show um, Nine Perfect Strangers with Nicole yes. Kidman? Yes. I've started watching that. It is an absolute dog's breakfast. Like it is such a dreadful show. And apparently <laughs> all the cast are really unhappy with how it came out and, oh, you no. know, I mean it's just a mess. It really is a mess of a show. And to have these amazing actors like Melissa McCarthy and Bobby Carnavali and mm. Nicole Kidman in mm. it, mm. you know that it's not them. That's direction because you've got these yeah. amazing actors. So if they're amazing in so many things and they're all not great in this, it's yeah. not them. That comes well, down that's to direction. Right. But something that I didn't take into consideration but that I was talking to with another friend of mine who is so in, uh, knowledgeable on this kind of thing, he said, well, half of that was written by one person and the other half was written by another. So he goes, you watch it come in and out of good dialogue. Oh, that's not going to work. And I was like, ah, oh, I said that. I wonder how often that must happen. Yeah, because there'd be a lot of writers on one show, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And we don't yeah. really know what that writing process is like, but yeah. David E. David Kelly, Kelly is the you know main like the main guy for this and he kind of, you can tell apparently when his writing comes in in a few hours, right. like it's much better. Yeah, that's interesting. But it's not just the writing, believe me. Like, yeah, right. It is the clunkiest edits. Like, just I mean, it's seamless editing actually, but the clunkiest um, acting 
it's just like, what? How did you get directed to do it that way? Yeah. How did that happen? I don't know, but it's like, you know, as an actor, you present Mm. a couple of different ways of saying a line and the director Mm. at the end of the day has to say, yeah, that's the way I want it. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. When you see, you know, Asha Ketty kind of giving this really fake look and then going, have you medicated us? From nothing, from no, it's like, where'd you get that from, lady? There was no build up to that. So, you know, you go, oh, that's direction. Like that's a bad Mm -hmm. choice at Mm -hmm. at the top there. So interesting to watch. And now I'm three episodes in. There's only, I think, seven or eight episodes. So I really do want to finish because I want to know why Nicole Kidman does what she does. Yeah, right. You know, okay. what, so what's the ending you. to this? It has got yeah. me, but yeah. I now have to wade my way through the yes. swamp that is this show yeah. of yeah. Dog's Breakfast. And, you know, I'll tell you right now, Dog's Breakfasts are not are not appetising. Yeah. But sometimes, <laughs> well, you know, you've got to sift through. Oh, yeah. okay. It gets you in straight away. It's a, it's a bit of a mystery, a bit of a, mm. a kind of, you know, whodunit. Yeah, or why. Um, and it makes and, – and now I have to finish. I have to watch it because I need to find out who, who's responsible. And, yeah, and I can't work out if it's brilliant. Yeah, okay. Well, or if it's bad. So I'll let um, you know. Let I'll me let know. You know. I have been meaning to start that one, so. Oh, good, um, okay. I will, I will. And I, I also want to know why you're watching this season's Bachelor when it seems like the worst thing in the world I've literally only watched one episode in full which is the one I texted you about the other night and yeah. had a bit of an epiphany about just how weird the show is mm. um just the concept I just I, I just think we're I don't think we're there anymore as a society mm. that we think that that's okay to be entertained by a man or any person choosing from a plethora of people and dating four people at the same time and then having the girls console each other for the same thing. Mm. <laughs> it just makes, it's just. It is almost Stockholm Syndrome, isn't it? Like it is. prisoners so... of a captor yeah. who is loving them all. It's almost cultish. It's cultish. With like... one male leader. I mean, it's interesting because of the way the they have got the opposite where they do a bachelorette. Yeah. And the men um, get really close as well and they get blokey, yeah, you know, with each other. Odd. It is odd. It's so odd because it's really not in any form of, of the real world apart from, you know, Utah. Yeah. Well, this is Mormons. true. It's like if, you know, I it's put like myself love. Like, I put my, you, you and I, I mean, I guess they're not friends beforehand either, but, you know, no. they sit there you know, consoling each other because one girl's crying because she thinks she stuffed it up because she said something wrong and the other girl's like, oh, look, I'm sure it was okay. Like, I'm sure it's fine. Don't worry, babe. You know, like, it's going to be fine. And like in the back and you're of her thinking, head, is why she aren't thinking, they, like, yeah, scratching each other's eyes out? Yeah, you know, yeah. Well, she probably is. It's just blatant um, deception and, yeah, I don't know, it's weird. So I've only watched one, one episode. Um, I've always found that franchise extremely weird always right from 
the beginning and we we goggle boxed the first one as well. No, no, sorry. We we goggle boxed from the second season. So and what? I said it on air, like, this is the weirdest show. But I watch it all the time. I would watch it all the time because there was always such good endings. Like they have such lovely love stories. And we actually have a huge success rate in our franchise. Mm. Mm, um, mm, which is mm. really weird because a lot of countries don't. We just seem to be, you know, yeah. they really did get get the right applicants. Yes. Um, but until they get there, there's a whole heap of fucking breaking hearts and all for oh, our I entertainment. I know. It's so weird. If you really and watch it with that lens. it's fine if it's written, it's, but it's not written. It's, it's real. So- it's real. You know, and we know someone who's been through it and has, yeah. you know, is still reeling from the reality of truly falling in love with someone and having to break so many hearts, which is not fun for anyone, no matter. I mean, you'd have to be the world's biggest narcissist to be yeah. fine yeah. to walk away from seeing that many people crushed from your decisions. Totally. Yeah, and and like you said, just not realistic. Like when does that ever happen in life that you have to – do that to so many people within a time frame. Yeah, in and that a ball must gown. have an effect on your hey. <laughs> in a ball gown. In a ball in a gown. While hi- while hold- How often holding. Does that ever happen? A rose, like it's just oh, with insane. a guy standing next to you <laughs> who yeah, who who whispers whispers the whole time. And it's also the other a- observation I had was because I'm I know that you love Survivor and I've watched a few but I'm not I'm not into it as much as you are but I think there's the same um the same sound production people because it's that dun, 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 dun. like it's the so, dramatic music and then it goes dun, dun, dun. <laughs> about Survivor is you really know when someone's about to Succeed in the tri- in the challenge because yes. the music starts to build. And you're like, so, oh, you're ruining this for me. <laughs> like every time I hear that music, I know that the ball's getting in. Yeah, someone's yeah, yeah. out. I know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, so I can't watch you know. that, or I can't watch Survivor or The Bachelor with Pete in the room because he just those those sounds trigger oh. him. He just run. He he literally runs out of the room. He's like. Oh. And I have to when I know it's going to come, I have to get the TV remote if he's sitting with oh, me and mute and it. it down. I'm like, sorry, oh, yeah. bang. He doesn't like it. Poor thing. You have to put him to bed before you watch those shows. I have or been. like mm. me, get yourself a smart TV and pop your earphones in your wireless headphones, and I you can have, have it, it have it really loud. I've got a smart TV. I could do that. Yeah, wire it up, Bluetooth it up. It's really good because okay. you can have it really loud in your ears and you don't have to worry about anyone. Good idea. Yeah, that's for everyone. Tip, yeah. tip of the day. If you are loving this podcast, why don't you rate and review us? That's it. Also follow us now. I think it's called follow. It's not subscribe yeah. anymore. There's a little plus button. Just yeah. push it. Follow us and you'll get a little tick and we'll be like, there you go, followed. Yeah, Boom. Give us Done. five stars. That'd be great if you could. If you could. But honestly, truthfully, that's the only reason how we're going to get out there. Don't sound too desperate, Annie, but please. No. Um, wanna, hey, want to get us to new and noteworthy? Give us a rating and reviewing. Yes. Five stars only. 
Also, you can follow us on Instagram. We're at Chickstery underscore podcast. And we're also now on TikTok because that's what all the cool kids are doing. Yeah. At Chickstery podcast. Bougie. Zanuck Ratchet. Chicken the Now. Chicken the Now is for you. Yeah. Who have we got this week? Chicken the Now this week. Um, I wanted to have, I wanted to, I wanted, there's a, there's a lot of chicks in the now and I just, I thought. Oh, there's so many. I know. And this is a, this is a collective of people. But, okay. But made me, was spurred on by an article I read um, around um, an Afghani woman, who, Afghanistan's first female Paralympian. Her name is... Zakaya Kadadadi, I think. Hope I'm saying that right. So yeah, so she's she's a um, taekwondo athlete, um, mm-hmm. and she lives in Afghanistan. The city she was living in was overtaken by um, the Taliban. She escaped um, her home city, and she she went to um, Kabul, where she was staying with friends. And basically, she did that because. They know, like the women know, not only are women, you know, under so much pressure now because of the Taliban and the new laws and they're thinking they're not going to be able to work, they can't go out, they don't leave their homes. Awful, awful situation. Um, But they in particular target athletes, women athletes, the Taliban. So, um, Because that would really offend them, wouldn't it? Especially if they are Paralympians as well. She was staying in Kabul. She was um, Tuesday night. She sent a voice message to the head of the Olympian committee saying, you know, I still have hope that I'm going to make it to Tokyo, right? Mm -hmm. She thought on Tuesday Mm -hmm. night, she's like, I've still got hope I'm going to make it to Tokyo. I'm going to, um, she's like, I'm doing a call out to just, can you help me get out of the country? I still, you know, I've worked so hard to get to this point. I've qualified and because of what's happening in her country right now, she wasn't able to make it and she didn't she didn't get there, um, which is just heartbreaking. The, the, the other part of that story is these other two amazing women, Nikki Dryden, who's now a human rights lawyer, and um, she teamed up with the Director of Human Rights for All, Alison Batterson, mm-hmm. um, whose specialty was helping refugees who were detained in Australia. And basically these two women, these two amazing kick-ass women, mm-hmm. by talking to all these people, getting in like um, sports ministers and the, like literally going to like Switzerland and like all over the world basically petitioning for these athletes to to be saved from Afghanistan. And basically it happened and they were able to get 50 of these athletes out. They're making it on their way to Australia. So they've had to go via all these other countries. There's this transcription that you can read on the ABC News website of WhatsApp messages between the um, people on the ground. So they had to basically get to the airport and that meant going through like a dozen um, checks yeah. basically. That airport is hideous. Well, we saw what happened there two days ago. Exactly. So they had to get to the airport and then once they're at the airport, they have to make their way through these, you know, again, through through different sort of gateways and they had to find an Australian or a British 
soldier basically to help them. The messages are just like it's 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 basically like, you know, British at the gate, athletes' names not on their list, difficulty difficulty entering. We are making contact and then so the reply is like, like it's playing live. Yeah. And it's like great thumbs yeah. up. And it's like through the first security gate getting closer the brits have waved them through they're inside now they weren't rejected from the Brit- from the british at the british gate and then it's like a tv show and then it gets down to um, about a dozen girls still outside plus the karate group and then at um, 3:59 a.m. they are safe in australian hands this is what oh. australia should be doing every day yes who said that that's what the the guy on the ground said Oh, my God, absolutely. I could not agree with him more. And it is just one of the worst things we are watching live, mm, you know, in our really lifetime, our yeah. lifetime, in our adult life, that is, seeing it and understanding it unlike we ever have before, like, unlike we did 20 years ago when we were mm. out partying and shit about things like this. No, exactly. Um, watching this live people you know being exploded and mm. um women on instagram i mean sorry on social media things that we could never see before writing letters saying my life is over as i know it you yeah. know i have to put my hair away now i can't study i have to burn my um certificate my degrees and my phds yeah. i have yeah. to not work yes. i have to marry someone i've never met before yeah yeah, I can't go outside it's without just, a male escort. And I, and I will be assaulted whenever yeah. it fit, someone sees fit to assault me. My chicks this week in the now are all <sighs> of those women who are currently, you know, in Afghanistan and going through horrendous stuff and, you know, if we can just take a yeah, moment. think of them. You know what, we can... We we put up links. I put up links all the time where it makes it really easy for us as Australians and the privileged, lazy mm. bums that we are to sign petitions, to email your local senators or um, yep. MPs. You know, keep don't forget. Just keep making sure that that we keeping the pressure thinking on of these people. And we've got a lot of Afghanistan. Um, people here in Australia who yeah. um, have got family there, you know, who yeah, exactly. a woman I was speaking to, she speaks to her, she speaks to about 20 families a day and she says she only gets through about five now because of the crying, like that, the, the longer conversations or the conversations mm. that she can't understand, like she can't, they can't talk, mm. you know, mm. do anything. But the helplessness yeah. and yeah. complete despair that they're feeling is nothing yeah. compared to what they're feeling over there. I have got a chick in history. It's such a good one, this one. Oh, good. I know. You're all I'm excited. Really, you know, it's funny because I wanted to do her pro in season one and I don't know why she just kept falling away. Yeah. Um, but I've gone back to her. I found her again and went, good. God, you're a good one. She's such a good, good. one. Okay. Her name is Bessie Coleman. Have you ever heard of her? Strap in? No. Bessie Coleman. Yes, literally strap in because that's okay. what she had to do. Her name um, is Elizabeth Coleman and known as Bessie and she was born on January 26, 1892 in Atlanta, Texas. 
Mm-hmm. So not, not the normal Atlanta. The 10th yeah. of 13 children of George Coleman, a mixed African-American who had Cherokee grandparents, and Susan Coleman, who was African-American. Mm-hmm. Nine of the children survived childhood, which was typical for the time. And when Bessie was two years old, her family moved to Waxahachie, Texas, Mm -hmm. where they lived as sharecroppers. Uh, Bessie began attending school in Waxahachie at the age of six. She walked four miles each day to her segregated one-room school where she loved to read and established herself as an outstanding math student. She completed her elementary education in that school. Every year... Um, her routine of school chores and church was interrupted by the cotton harvest. Uh-huh. Wouldn't that be weird? Like you can't go to school or do anything because you've got to harvest that cotton. You've got to go and work and you're, what, you 12? you got to go and do it. Out yeah. You, out you go. I know. I go and, and that was cotton. every year since she was born. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? In 1901, George Coleman left his family. He returned to Oklahoma Um, to find better opportunities, but his wife and children did not follow. At the age of 12, Bessie was accepted into the Missionary Baptist Church School on a scholarship. When she turned 18, she took her savings and enrolled in the Oklahoma Coloured Agricultural and Normal Normal University. (laughs) Is that what it says? It's what it's called, the Oklahoma Coloured Agricultural and Normal University. Okay. Um, She completed one term before her money ran out and she returned home. At the age of 23, she moved to Chicago where she lived with her brothers. In Chicago, she worked as a manicurist at the White Sox Barbershop. There she heard stories of flying during wartime from pilots returning home from the First World War. Mm. She took a second job as a restaurant manager at the Chili Parlor to save money. In the hopes of becoming a pilot. What year is this? So 1915. Wow. American flight schools of the time admitted neither women nor black people. So Robert Abbott, founder and publisher of the Chicago Defender, encouraged her to study abroad. Abbott Mm. publicised Coleman's request in his newspaper and she received financial sponsorship from banker Jesse Binger and the Defender. Bessie Coleman then took a French language class at the Berlitz Language School in Chicago and then she travelled to Paris on November Mm. 20, 1920. She could earn her um, pilot licence there. She learned to fly in a Newport 564 biplane with a steering system that consisted of a vertical stick, the thickness of a baseball bat, in front of the pilot and a rudder bar under the pilot's feet. That's it. Jesus. That's it. That's it. On June 19, um, 1921, Bessie became the first black woman and the first Native American to earn an aviation pilot's license and the first black person and first Native American to earn an international aviation license. And I've got her her, um, license photo here. Oh, fabulous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unreal. That's insane, no, just at at this time. Just at this time in history that that there's no, you know, flying is such a new thing. Like mm. I think I would even be scared to learn how to fly and man a pl- have control of a plane. 
even now, knowing how yeah. far we've come, like the advances yeah. that we've come and how, you know, but back then it was so yeah. new. You'd have to have so, so much new. bravery. Well, maybe that would be a part of the, I mean, we know what happens to planes. Like an ignorance. It's all new, an ignorance of I'd just love yes. to fly. Yes, yes. You know, and if you do it properly, then you'd, you'd be flying forever. Determined to polish her skills, Bessie spent the next two months taking lessons from a French ace pilot near Paris. And in September 1921, she sailed for America. She became a media sensation when she returned to the US. She says, this is to quote Bessie, mm-hmm. the air is the only place free from prejudices. I knew we had no aviators, neither men nor women, and I knew that the race needed to be represented along this most important line. So I thought it my duty to risk my life to learn aviation. With the age of commercial flights still a decade or more in the future, Bessie quickly realised that in order to make a living as a civilian aviator, she would have to become a barnstorming pilot. What's a barnstorming pilot? Oh, glad you asked. It's just simply trick trick flying. So, yeah, she was a barnstormer for paying audiences, right? So that's how she made her money. To succeed in this highly competitive arena, she would need advanced lessons and a more extensive repertoire. Returning to Chicago, Bessie could not find anyone willing to teach her. So in 1922, she sailed again for Europe. She spent the next two months in France completing an advanced course in aviation. She then left for the Netherlands to meet Anthony Fokker, not one of the Fokkers. Um, Meet the Fokkers back in. Yeah. He was actually one of the world's most distinguished aircraft designers. Oh, if he'd only known what's going to end up happening to his name. She also also travelled to Germany where she visited the Fokker She visited the Fokker Corporation and received additional training from one of the company's chief pilots, Gaylord. No, I'm just made that up. I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, coming back to Bessie, she then returned to the United States to launch her career in exhibition flying. Barnstorming. Queen Bess, as she was known, Queen Bess, I like it, was a highly popular drawcard for the next five years. Invited to important events and often interviewed by newspapers, she was admired by both the blacks and the whites. She primarily flew Curtis Jenny biplanes and other aircraft that had been Army surplus aircraft left over from the war. She made her first appearance on an American air show in September 3, 1922 at an event honouring veterans of the all-black infantry regiment of World War I. Wow. Held at Curtis Field on Long Island near New York and sponsored by her friend Abbott and the Chicago Defender newspaper. So he's been around. He's been, you know, uh, supporting her for a long time. A long time, yeah. The show built her as the world's greatest woman flyer and featured aerial displays by eight other American ace pilots and a jump by black parachutist Hubert Julian. Six weeks later, she returned to Chicago performing an 
in an air show, this time to honour World War One's 370th Infantry Regiment. Coleman delivered a stunning demonstration of daredevil manoeuvres, including figure eights, loops and a near-ground and near ground dips to a large and enthusiastic crowd at the checkerboard airdrome. Oh, air shows were such a thing of the eighties, weren't they? Like we, yeah, my, my we don't really love an air show, and he'd be like, "Come yeah. on, kids, we're going out to Penrith to watch the air show." Oh, we never, yeah, we never did air shows, but I remember it in oh. Girls Just Want to Have Fun with Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah. She's like saying to the guy, "We just spent the weekend watching an air show, so it was just a whole heap of people doing this." Yeah, yeah. He doesn't find it funny at all. And I remember at the time thinking, get rid of him. He's boring. Yeah, he doesn't think that's funny. He I know. Your humor. When I was like, it's very, like, probably 12 or 13, we were going out to Windsor for an air show and we were dri- driving out there. And there was the road into this car park for the air show was, it was so busy. It was like bumper to bumper traffic. And my brother and I were going mental. And my mum was stressed and my dad was stressed and the car was overheating and it was like a hot oh, summer yeah. day and it was just, yeah. you know, when the See, car was overheating because of the stopping and starting. Mm-hmm. And dad, dad, dad pulled the, pulled the pin, got <gasps> chucked a uni and going. said we're going home. No air show for you. Dummy. Spat the dummy, and we went home, and we just was so. I was so upset. We got in so much trouble, but only because they were so stressed, and the car was. They thought the car was going to conk out, and blah blah blah, and whatever. Made the right choice. Right, that's it. Going home, but with an Italian accent. Yeah, that's it. Bloody, you're bloody. We're going home. Bless. St- Sam Stelliano. Yeah. Oh, bless. Uh, the thrill of stunt flying and the admiration of cheering crowds were only a part of Coleman's dream. She never lost sight of her childhood vow to one day amount to something. As a professional aviator, she would often be criticised by the press for her opportunistic nature and the flamboyant style she brought to her exhibition flying. She also quickly gained a reputation as a skilled and daring pilot who would stop at nothing to complete a difficult stunt. In Los Angeles, she broke a leg and three ribs when her plane stalled and crashed. Oh, God. In 1923. <sighs> Committed to promoting aviation and combating racism, Bessie spoke to audiences across the country about the pursuit of aviation and goals for African Americans. She absolutely refused to participate in aviation events that prohibited the attendance of African Americans. Yeah, good on her. In the 20s, she met the Reverend Hezekiah Hill and his wife Viola on a speaking tour. The community activists invited her to stay with them at the parsonage of Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church on Washington Street. A local street was renamed Bessie Coleman Street. Oh, I love it when they name a street after these amazing yeah. women. Well, that that was in that 2013 was that happened. Yeah, right. So um, awesome. the area obviously remembers her quite well and she would be very famous there and that's in a place called Paramore. The couple who treated her as her daughter, as their daughter, persuaded her to stay and Bessie opened a beauty shop in Orlando because remember she's a manicurist as well. She's a manicurist. Yep, so she earned extra money to buy her own plane. Oh, wow. Through her media contacts, she was offered a role in a feature-length film titled Shadow and Sunshine. Um, to be financed by the African-American Seminole Film Producing Company. 
She gladly accepted, hoping the publicity would help to advance her career and provide her with some of the money she needed to establish her own flying school. But upon learning that the first scene in the movie required her to appear in tattered clothes with a walking stick and a pack on her back, she refused to proceed. So someone, a critic at the time or someone wrote, clearly um, Bessie walking off the movie was a statement of principle. Opportunist yeah. though she was about her career, she was never an opportunist about race. Good. She had no intention of perpetuating the derogatory images most whites had of blacks. Mm. Coleman would not live long enough to establish a school for young black aviators, but her pioneering career um, served as an inspiration for a generation of African-American men and women. Because of Bessie Coleman, wrote Lieutenant William Powell in Black Wings, 1934, which was dedicated to Coleman, Mm. we have overcome that which was worse than the racial barriers. We have overcome the barriers within ourselves and, and dared to dream. He served in a segregated unit during World War One and tirelessly promoted the cause of black aviation through his book, his journals, and the Bessie Coleman Aero Club, which he founded in 1929. Oh, amazing. On April 30, 1926, Bessie was in Jacksonville, Florida. She had recently purchased a Curtis plane. In Dallas, her mechanic and publicity agent, 24-year-old William D. Wills, flew the plane from Dallas in preparation for an air show and had to make three forced landings along the way because the plane had been so poorly maintained. Mm -hmm. Upon learning this, Bessie's friends and families did not consider the aircraft safe and implored her not to fly it, but she refused. On takeoff, Wills was flying the plane with Coleman in the other seat. She was planning a parachute jump for the next day and she wanted to examine the terrain as seen from the cockpit. About 10 minutes into the flight, the plane unexpectedly went into a dive and then a spin at 3,000 feet. Coleman was thrown from the plane at 2,000 feet and died instantly when she hit the ground. William Wills was unable to regain control of the plane and it plummeted to the ground. He died upon impact. The plane exploded, bursting into flames. Although the wreckage of the plane was badly burned, it was later discovered that a wrench used to service the engine had jammed the controls. She was 34 years old. Funeral services were held in Florida before her body was sent back to Chicago. While there was little mention in most media, News of her death was widely carried in the African-American press. Mm. 10,000 mourners attended her ceremony. What a loss. In Chicago. What a big loss. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So Bessie Coleman, what a legend. and What a legend. Such a a sad short end to her life. Yeah. It could have been so long and rich. Exactly right. And just the tenacity of someone mm. it just astounds me these women that just have a dream and go you know she's a manicurist but she's like no but I actually want to fly a plane and they just they just make it happen like you know yeah. and I mean and when we say just make it happen they travel to another country on a boat yeah. for months to get yeah. the education they need in an they in an industry that's completely dominated by white men here comes this yeah. you know black young girl coming in going, I want to fly planes and like nothing stops, like just that 
it's yeah. so admirable, you know, that motivation yeah. and that. Yeah, she would oh. have had a lot of guts to do that, like to yeah. go to France, you know, just men, 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 men. Everything yeah. around her was just man-dominated. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Fuck That's me. incredible. Oh, Bessie Coleman. Bessie Coleman, we salute we you. We salute you. She was a good one. Yeah, she was good because, yeah, you hear a lot about Amelia um, Earhart. Earhart um, but never heard of Bessie Coleman. Not yeah, Bessie Coleman. So and thank you. Bessie. Yeah, it's a good one. I liked, I liked Bessie. I, I, you know how I got onto her? <laughs> La, first season, um, they did a drunk history on her. Oh, and, right. Um, I watched the drunk history and went, "Oh, this is a great story." Yeah, like, that would actually be a really great movie. It would be. It would be amazing. With a very sad ending. Yeah. Um, it reminds me actually of a podcast I've been listening to. I've just finished. Um called No Strings Attached, which is the true story of um, a woman who was a parachutist and um, married her and her husband, um, keen parachutists, mm-hmm. and um, she goes up one day to have a jump and he's encouraging her to have this jump, you know, like, oh, why don't you take some time off from the kids and go and have a jump. Yeah, so she goes out for her jump and um, her parachute fails to open and the reserve also gets tangled and twisted and she falls to the ground four four thousand feet and um she survives she lands in a a field of um it's like a wheat field i think which something that's cushioned her fall as much Mm -hmm. as it can the one of the parachutes kind of slightly open so that would have had some Mm -hmm. resistance you know in helping her sort of not plummet um, and then, um, yeah, and then so she, she, you know, obviously the the people come to her, you know, um, aid, and one one guy sees that there's something weird going on with the parachute, and he starts filming it because um, he's like, this isn't right, like that that's not supposed to be there, or that string is not supposed to be whatever, and he realizes there's something a bit odd about it, um, and um, yeah, it turns out he's. Um, her husband had rigged up this parachute to as a way of of killing her and it's incredible it's such an incredible story she's got a book out at the moment um but the podcast is i would say becoming more popular at the moment because of the book um but and the book is actually her her kind of memoir and she's not involved in the podcast because of said book that was coming she actually defends him so the prosecutors and the detectives and everyone say that it was a very odd case because they had never had a witness or a victim fight them against trying to prosecute the the person who did this and she just wouldn't accept it no strings attached get it yeah get get it? it Do you get it? It's like the parachute strings. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, and they're not attached. attached. But they was. It should really be called no strings or all strings tied up amongst themselves. And guess the reason why he did that, the husband. Um, insurance. Yeah, because he's having an affair, and he and he. I don't know how to tell her. I don't want to be with her anymore. So I'm just. I should just kill her. so much easier to just kill her and he gets all the sympathy as well yeah unless it goes wrong 
All right, I'm going. I'm getting out in the sunshine. I'm going to do some bits and bombs. Oh, bits and bombs? Bits and bombs. <laughs> do some bombs. You're <laughs> on it lately, aren't you? Getting right on it. Bits and bongs. I'm off to do some bongs. See ya. This podcast is produced by Evie, Annie and Sammy. Edited by Annie and Sammy. Be sure to check out Sammy's podcast, Confessions of the Idiots.